Hi. Uh, in case you don't know me, I'm Randy Peterson. Uh, I've been coming to Hope Church for a long, long time, and apparently, if you come long enough, they let you preach. <laughs> Who knew? I love superheroes, uh, which is why we asked that question earlier. Um, I was never a comic book kid, although as we were talking about, I, I think every preteen boy had a picture of Wonder Woman somewhere, and uh, we were in love with her, uh, probably for all the wrong reasons. Um, but, um, but lately, I've been trying to catch up with, with all of the movies, uh, and I love action movies uh, in general, and so you put a superhero in an action movie, and, and there have been tons of them over the last decade or so. And uh, apparently there are two universes uh, of superheroes. It took me a while to figure that out. That there's the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe based on the publishers of the comic books that created these characters. Uh, the DC Universe has the classics, uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Uh, the, um, the Marvel Universe is a little more complex and the heroes are a little bit more flawed. And so you have the arrogant Iron Man, and you have um, uh, Spider-Man, this ki impetuous kid who doesn't quite know what's going on. And you have uh, too good for his own good Captain America. And, uh, and a, a ton of superheroes who, with their flaws, but also powers. And uh, it's really interesting to see how the story gets woven together with all of that. Well, Today, we're going to be talking about a biblical superhero, Samson. He is uh, found in the book of Judges, as our, our Lego introduction uh, gave us the high points of the story, um, Judges 13 to 16. And it's a, it's a really fascinating story, and I really hope that after all of this overview of the story and digging into some of the issues that we do here now, that you will go home and read this. It is a great summer read four chapters, chapter 13 to 16 of Judges. It's a very cleverly constructed story. And uh, if you are literary-minded, you will find all sorts of themes in there that will be of interest to you. If you are action-oriented, you will find plenty of action. So I encourage you uh, to do that. Let me set up where we are in the history of Israel here. Some of you know this very well, I know, but, but others might, might need this sort of refresher. So a couple of months ago, we were here talking about Joseph and his brothers and how they sold him into slavery. They were living in Canaan, what is now the land of Israel. And over the years, it's been called Israel, Palestine, Canaan, and various other things. But uh, the, so the action moves in Joseph's story, from Canaan to Egypt. Joseph is a slave in Egypt. He rises to power there, and eventually in a time of famine, his brothers move to Egypt to join him, and they settle there. And for generations and generations and generations, that family grows into a great nation in Egypt. And then later, a pharaoh, a king of Egypt, arises who forgets all about the, the Joseph story and who enslaves the Israelites. And then Moses arises to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And there are the ten plagues, and he leads them across the Red Sea. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then a new leader, Joshua, leads them back into Canaan. 
the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel. Well, other people are living there now. And so the Israelites have to conquer the land again. And the book of Joshua is about these fights that they have to reconquer the land, to resettle it, to claim this promised land as their own. And so they settle, and the different tribes settle in different areas of this land. The book of Judges continues the struggle because the enemies are strong. Israel has settled, but it's not really a permanent settlement. The enemies are coming from all directions trying to reclaim this territory. And in some cases, they're rather successful. In some cases, they dominate the Israelites for a time. But God raises up certain superheroes, if you will, to fight against the enemies and to win freedom and justice for the Israelites. The term judges is a little misleading because when we hear the term judge, we think of somebody in a black robe deciding cases, deciding justice. Well, the word for them comes, it, it is related to the word justice, but it's not really deciding justice, it's fighting for justice. These judges were justice fighters. You might call them avengers. You might call them a justice league. See what I did there? Huh? Superheroes? Yeah. But seriously, we, we find in story after story how these leaders rise up to fight for justice and freedom uh, for the Israelite people. And uh, uh, Samson is in that mix. But what we also find in the book of Judges is sort of a downward slide. Somewhere in the middle of the Gideon story, right in the middle of the book, and, and Rick's going to be talking about that next week, there, it begins to go bad. That the leaders have risen up, but, but, but there are, are, there's selfishness and there's pride and there's greed coming around. And the people of Israel forget to follow the Lord. And Samson is in the middle of this downward slide. And by the end of the story, things are really bad. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, the Samson story starts in a time when the Philistines are the enemy that is, um, uh, that's oppressing them. The Philistines were, uh, they had cities that they set up by the coast, by the Mediterranean coast, five cities of the Philistines that they had settled because they were, uh, they were a seagoing people. They had a great uh, navy and a merchant marine. Uh, and so they did trade around the Mediterranean. And so that brought in a lot of wealth to them. It also brought in technology. And so their weapons were better than the Israelites' weapons. And so they, they dominated the region there. Uh, and they also had a fish god, um, as the Lego people told, told us. Um, and so in that, with the Israelites being dominated, a new superhero, a new judge is promised to a couple. You are going to have a child, and this will be a special child. Even though the woman has been barren, without child, she will give birth to a son. And he will be a Nazarite. And this Nazarite will have special responsibilities. He's not allowed to, to, to drink or to touch dead bodies or, or uh, cut his hair. But he will have great strength and he will lead the people. Um, 
birth stories happen in the Bible quite often. And so you, uh, your mind may be going to uh, Isaac. How an angel appeared to Abraham and Sarah and said, you will have a child even in your old age. There's kind of a birth story about Moses and, and as he is, he is floated in a basket down the Nile River and picked up by the, uh, the princess uh, of Egypt. Uh, later, Samuel has a great birth story. Uh, uh, again, a barren woman who gives birth through the promise of God. In the New Testament, John the Baptist and, of course, Jesus have these great sort of birth announcements. Before their births, they are promised. And so Samson, is the story is set up this way. This great leader will arise out of these unlikely circumstances, and he will, he will save the people. And so the, uh, his mother is told, uh, in your pregnancy, do not drink. Uh, do not drink alcohol, a very modern uh, uh, caution there. Uh, but that's all part of this Nazarite vow. Uh, let's look at what this, what this vow is about. We have it on a slide here. That, uh, it's in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, the first eight verses or so there. This is something that was often done as a temporary thing, not a lifelong thing, but a temporary uh, vow of consecration. Somebody wanted to, to become holy, and uh, so they would say, for this time, I will not touch strong drink beer, wine, even grape juice. So there was no question of has it fermented yet or not. It, you know, Grapes, grape juice, that was all off limits for the person taking the Nazarite vow. Uh, no contact with a dead body, that would make you unclean. And uh, I mean, there are various health reasons why that would be a bad idea as well. But, but um, the, uh, that would be ritually unclean in this case. And do not cut your hair. Now, if this is a vow you take for a year or so, your hair would get pretty long. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be too crazy. Um, but uh, in Samson's case, this would be a lifelong thing. And so we read about how he, he was born and he grew up and he was following this Nazarite vow and his hair would have gotten, gotten pretty long. And the Lord was with him and he showed great strength. But then in chapter 14, things start to happen there. Samson, um, oh, oh, sorry, before we get into that part of the story, I want to give you some things to look for. And this is on your own when you read it, but also as we talk about the story here. There are like four things, four features that I want you to look for, and they are on the next slide here. As the story, especially as it starts, in uh, several verses, four or five different verses, it talks about how Samson went down. He went down to this city and saw the woman that he wanted to marry. He went down to meet with the Philistines. He went down, he went down, he went down. And, um, well, some of that is just geographical. The Israelites lived in the foothills, and the Philistines lived on the coastal plain. So he would go down from the hilly area to the plain to see anyone there. But this story is so cleverly constructed that there's a clue here that things 
are not going upward here. They are not following the way of God here, that there are some problems that are going to be encountered here. So whenever you see in this story that Samson is going down, he's not just going downhill geographically, he is possibly going down spiritually as well. The eyes are very important, and he keeps talking about his eyes, what he sees. He is led by what he sees. Uh, the eyes are very important in the story. There's a continual theme of what people know and what they don't. There are riddles and poems and secret knowledge throughout this story. So keep looking at what people know, including Samson, what they know and what they don't know, and what we as the reader know and what we don't know. And then where does God show up? And it's surprising because there are some moments when we think that Samson has entirely lost it. He's lost his temper. He's gone off on killing a bunch of people, and we think that he is so far from God in these moments. And then it says, the Spirit of the Lord was behind this, and the Spirit of the Lord wanted to defeat the Philistines and use Samson to do this. So there are tough questions about this. What is God doing, and how is he using Samson in this process? Where does he show up in Samson's experience, and what can we learn about what God means in our lives as well? So, chapter 14, Samson goes down to a Philistine town called Timnah, and he sees a woman there. And he comes back home, and he says to mom and dad, get her for me. I want to marry her. She seems right in my eyes. She's the right woman for me. Um, now, this sounds kind of strange if you're teenage son came to you and said, get her for me. That would be a weird thing. But in that time, there were arranged marriages, and parents were responsible to set up the marriages, and to, it was a negotiation with the other parents, and they'd set it up that way. Uh, and so Samson is demanding that his parents find this Philistine woman, uh, take her as his wife. And his mother says, well, you can't find a good Jewish girl. And... Uh, and he says, no, she is the right one in my eyes. Now, notice the eyes there. And notice an another thing. And, and we're going to step back. Yes, we're going to get deeper into this story. I know you're, you wanna, you're eager to get there. But in the downward arc of Judges, after the Samson story, there are a couple of chapters that are really horrendous, really sickening in terms of gross violence, in terms of abuse of women. It, they are sickening chapters. And at the very end of the story, when the whole nation is at its depths, the very last verse of the book of Judges says, in those days, everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. Different translations put it differently. But that's the, the phrase in the Hebrew. They did what seemed right in their own eyes. And that's exactly what Samson is saying about this woman. A clue from the author, perhaps, that this is part of the downward plunge here. That Samson doesn't care about anything except she looks good to me. In my eyes, she's the right one for me. Let's do this. I want to marry her. And so he convinces his parents. Um, one of the things that happens, we saw it on the, the Lego thing, uh, that on his way to, uh, to Timnah, uh, he is near a vineyard. Um, for a Nazarite, that's not a good place to be, near grapes, but we'll move on. Um, and a lion attacks him. 
and uh, a big, ferocious, man-eating lion, and Samson, in his great strength, kills the lion. A little detail, it becomes important later. So he sees the girl, goes back, tells his parents, I need her. So they're going to this town to set up the marriage. And he looks over, he, he leaves the road and goes over and says, I wonder how that lion is doing. And sees the carcass of the lion, but bees have come and made honey inside the carcass of the lion. And so, oh, honey. He scoops some up, and he eats it, and he scoops it up and brings it back to his mom and dad. Here, here's some honey. He doesn't tell them that it came from the carcass of a lion. And by the way, Nazarites were also not supposed to touch dead bodies. Now, does it count if it's an animal's body or not? I don't know. But he's getting awfully close to breaking the vows. And, you know, we do that sometimes, too. How, you know, we make commitments to not do this, but we come really close. We get as close as we can. We, you know, we smell that cigarette if we're trying to kick. You know, we're, we're, we want to get close to it, not over the line. And that's where Samson is at this moment. Well, they go ahead. They set up the, the wedding feast. And so weddings in that day, it was not just a you know, one-hour event as, as we have. It was a seven-day festival for a wedding in that time. And uh, you know, the whole town would be invited to this, to, to this seven-day festival. And at the end of that, you were you know, really married. And um, uh, so there were 30 Philistine men who were Samson's groomsmen, essentially. And uh, Samson decides to make a little wager with them. He says, I have a riddle for you. If you can figure out this riddle, then, um, then I will buy each of you a suit of clothing. If you can't figure it out, then you each have to give me a suit of clothing. And, and he's pretty sure he's going to wind up with a nice wardrobe out of this. Uh, and so he, said, he makes this little poem out of his experience. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Well, we know, we, we knew the, the previous episode, it, he's talking about the lion and the honey. We know that no one else in the world knows about the lion, and his parents don't even know. He went off the road to go see the carcass of the lion, and so, so this is his private thing. It's a riddle that they will never be able to figure out. And so the party goes on, and they're trying to figure it out. Huh? What could it be, possibly? And they find, in the middle of the, of the feast, they go to his wife, his bride and say, you've got to find the answer to this for us, or else we'll kill you and your family. That's how the Philistines were. Um, and so she goes to Samson and says, if you love me, you'll tell me the answer to this riddle. And so he tells her, and she tells them. And on the very last day of the feast, right when Samson is clearing out his closet space, uh, they come to him and say, what is uh, stronger than a lion? What is sweeter than honey? They've figured out the riddle. And so he owes them each a, uh, a suit of clothing. And he is mad. He is hopping mad because not only did he lose a bat, not only does he owe 30 sets of clothing, his wife has betrayed him. He realizes that she is a Philistine, first of all, that she is going to answer to the Philistines and not be loyal to him. And so in his anger, he leaves the wedding feast and he goes up the coast, 10 miles or so, to another Philistine city, Ashkelon, and kills 30 Philistines and takes their clothing. Uh, by the way, touching the dead bodies to get their clothing. Uh, but uh, it, 
taking their clothing, bringing them back to the feast, saying, here, 30 sets of clothing. I hope you're happy now. And then he goes off in a huff, goes back to his parents' home. And he sulks there for a while. And then after a little while, he cools off a little. He decides he wants to make up with his wife. And so he goes back down to that town, um, bringing a makeup gift, a goat. That's how they did it back then, I suppose. And so here, so he goes, he's ready to go back to his wife and say, sorry, I made such a commotion. I really still love you. Here's a goat. And, um, uh, but her father meets him and says, um, oh, sorry, you, you left before the marriage feast was over. Um, I, I gave her to your best man. Um, do you want her sister? And uh, no, I don't want her sister. He gets all upset. And um, so he goes out and does this other terrible thing, this destructive thing. Um, this is becoming a pretty high-stakes game with the Philistines now. He, he captures, I don't know how he did this, captures 300 foxes and puts them in pairs and ties their tails together, two by two, and puts a torch in there and sets the foxes running through the grain fields of the Philistines. As you can imagine, the grain catches fire. This is harvest time. And the grain is burning all the fields. And the foxes are just running like crazy, trying to get away from each other, running through all the fields of the Philistines. Their economy is ruined, right? The harvest is gone. And Samson has done this. They find out Samson has done this. And in retaliation, they do kill the wife and the father of the wife. And uh, Samson, uh, you know, has, has an altercation with some of them, and he goes off totally depressed, it seems, goes running off to some cave in the area where, where some people of Judah are living. Um, there's, there's a story, so if, uh, let's go to the next slide, because this is, uh, I'm sort of summarizing this. We've had the wife and the riddle. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Haven't gotten to the jawbone yet. We'll, we'll get there in a moment. We're going to skip the city gates for now. A series of stories about Samson. But uh, here's a story I didn't put on the slide. The, uh, the, the men of Judah. How Samson is there hiding out in a cave. And not really, I mean, he's, he's not afraid. He's just, it just seems like he's depressed. And he wants to sort this out. And... Uh, and and the men of Judah, now the, these are Israelites. These should be his friends. Uh, they come to him, they get 3,000 of them because they don't know what Samson's going to do. They, they get 3,000, come to Samson and say, um, the Philistines are looking for you and we don't want any trouble with them. Could we turn you over to them? Would that be okay with you? And surprisingly, Samson says, oh sure, just tie me up. Take me over to them. I'll be fine. And, uh, and they do. Um, this is remarkable in, in so many ways. One little, little thing is that I keep looking, I keep seeing in the Old Testament pictures of Jesus, of what will happen to Jesus in the New Testament. 
And, uh, and so this is one of those little pictures because essentially, isn't this what happened to Jesus? That the leaders of Judea, the Jewish leaders said, we don't want any trouble with the Romans. You're sort of starting a revolution here. Can we turn you over to them? And Jesus goes willingly. I mean, it wasn't exactly like that, but it was something like that. It's a little picture of what happens later to Jesus. But, but more than that, even just back in the book of Judges, what we see again and again and again, these leaders like Gideon, they raise up armies against the foes of the nations. They are leaders of people. They inspire people. They say, let us go and fight for our God, for our freedom, for our justice. Let's fight. And here are 3,000 men of Judah, one tribe. There are other tribes there that could band together against the Philistines. Samson could say, I will lead you into battle. But now he says, okay, just tie me up, take me over. Samson is a loner. Never in his story. Do, this is the only time we see other Israelites with him. And they are giving up. He's not leading them at all. He's a loner. He's going to do it his own way. It's his own thing. So, they take him toward the Philistines and kind of push him toward them, and then they take off. He's at a place called Jawbone Hill. Bursts the ropes that are holding him. Picks up a jawbone of a donkey and starts fighting the Philistines. And and succeed. And this is one of those, you see it in the action movies now, where there's one guy fighting a hundred people, and just boom, 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 and they're falling right and left, and it's impossible, this would never happen, but with Samson, this, his superhuman, his God-given strength, he accomplishes this, and he kills he says a thousand. The word thousand is sometimes used for just a big number, so it might have been hundreds. Uh, but they fall at the wayside as he slays them with this jawbone of a donkey. And at, after that, he, he makes up a little song. I have, I, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have made donkeys out of them. And looks at the dead bodies all around him and then goes and sits down and he's thirsty. Pause for a moment. I have some questions for you on the screen and uh, 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 the next slide here. What patterns do you see so far in Samson's behavior? Um, I'm tempted to have a discussion about that right now, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let you think about that yourself and maybe take that home and, and, and deal with that at home. But there are some patterns so far, things that happen. And Samson, how does he respond when negative things happen to him? We've talked about the eyes. What is he seeing? And, and how does his seeing lead him into action? And so far, where do we see God showing up here? And I haven't told you about all of those little moments in between where it talks about the Spirit of the Lord was with him, helping him do this or helping him do that. So it looks like Samson is operating entirely on his own, but somehow the spirit seems to be around him, kind of cleaning up his mess or, or pushing him in a new direction or, or something like that. It is puzzling sometimes, but very interesting where God is leading in all of this. But there is Samson having killed 
a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and he sits down there at Jawbone Hill, and he says, Lord, I'm thirsty. We have the next slide there. This is from the text where um, he was very thirsty. He cried out to the Lord, you have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant, me. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? Pause. Well, that's fine. Um, it's not a very good prayer so far, is it? I mean, he's not, he's not saying, oh, please have mercy on me and give me some because I'm so thirsty. He's saying, must I now die of thirst? You haven't gotten me any water yet. So come on, God, do your part. Okay, so now we can move on. So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi. The name of Lehi, it means jawbone, by the way. And Samson was revived as he drank. Then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out. And it is still in Lehi, Jawbone Hill, to this day. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. This is a sort of coda in the middle of the story. And I want to stop here for a moment and talk about calling out to God. Samson's not very good at it. We haven't really seen him do this. And when he does, he's kind of scolding God more than begging for help. And I think a lot of people are like that. And maybe you find yourselves like that, or maybe you've had that in your story, or maybe you know people who are like that. And you know, a lot of times, Christians make it so difficult for, for people to come to God. We have our, our, our formulas that you really have to have this theology. You have to come to Jesus in this way and believe these things about Jesus. God will not hear you unless you do this and this and this and this. That's not what we find throughout Scripture. Yes, God wants us to know him in so many ways. But the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. The book of Romans, whoever calls, calling on the name of the Lord. And again and again and again in Scripture, we find Hagar calling out to God. We find others calling out and getting responses from the Lord, even if they didn't do it quite right. The book of Romans says we do not know how to pray as we ought to. But the Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us do that. And so, at a minimum, and we see this in Samson. Samson, the hugely flawed person. He has anger problems, if you haven't noticed that yet. He has control problems. He's impulsive. He knows what he wants. He sees it, and he goes after it. Who, whoever gets in his way, they're in trouble. Samson flawed person, and he comes at this moment, and he's not even praying right. God, I'm thirsty. God says, here, have some water. I'm thirsty, so I'm going to... Ah, thank you. Rick gave me this water early, so you were playing the God role in this, and uh, thank you. God responds to the calling out, and the spring... The water gushing out of the spring, Samson says, okay, this is the spring of the, of the caller, of the crier, the one who cries out. 
God cares for the people who cry out to him. Remember that. Share that with the people in your life who are crying out to God in so many ways. Don't quiz them on their theology. Invite them to call out to God and ask for the help that they need. Now, here's the interesting thing. As flawed as Samson is, we have this note here that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. For 20 years, he was this justice fighter. And we don't know all the stories of Samson's life. Presumably, he continued this sort of guerrilla warfare against the Philistines and popping in and ruining their economy and messing them up and, and, and doing all sorts of actions that hurt the Philistines. Probably as a loner probably working by himself, probably getting in various anger-inducing situations. But then finally we come to the story of Delilah. And these last couple of episodes, we actually have the next slide, the Delilah story and the final revenge. Uh, the Delilah story is a classic, and, and you may, even if you don't know much else about the Bible, you may know this story, but, but let's... Uh, uh, let's review it. He Once again, he falls in love with a Philistine woman. Uh, th this is three women, uh, Philistine women he's been with now. There, we skipped over one of them. Uh, but um, he hasn't learned his lesson yet. He's still fallen for Philistine women. And Delilah um, is well-connected with the Philistine leadership, and they come to her and say, we see that you're hanging out with Samson, and uh, we'd like to know how to defeat him how to neutralize his great strength. If you could find the secret of his strength, we would pay you a lot of money. And they name a sum, which meant something there. She, it was a lot of money that they were offering her. And she says, okay, I'll see what I can do. And so she goes to Samson and she says, come on, honey, tell me the secret of your great strength. And so Samson says, well, you know, if you were to tie me up with new bowstrings, that had never been used before. Just tie me up with those things. Then I'd become weak as anybody else and you could capture them. And so um, she does that. Wakes him up in the middle of the night and says, they're, they're here, your enemies are here, they're going to catch you. Quick, quick, get up. And he just bursts the strings apart. He's as strong as he ever was. You lied to me. You didn't tell me the right thing. That's not true at all. And he kind of laughs, and yeah, okay, well, can't just go around telling you my secrets, can I? The interesting thing is, in this story, as we read it, we don't really know about his hair. We, we know that that was a vow at the beginning, that was part of the Nazarite thing, but he's broken a couple of the Nazarite things. And uh, so, I mean, we've heard the story, so now we know it's his hair, but there's a, there's a little suspense there with the, with the reader as well. And so the second time, Delilah says, come on, tell me, really. And so Samson says, okay, well, if, if you use leather strings on me, tie me up with leather strings, that'll do it. And so she does it. Middle of the night, Samson, they're coming to get you. And he breaks, he breaks the strings apart. Oh, you lied to me again. And um, yeah, yeah, I lied to you again. Okay, well, here's the real thing, he says. <sighs> Take my hair, the braids of my hair, and we're reading this, and we're saying, oh, finally got to the hair. Okay, this is probably, I mean, we are trained. Third time's the charm, right? Every, Goldilocks and the 
three bears. I mean, we, we, we know every story the third time. And so this is definitely going to be it. He ta- Take the braids of my hair and weave them into your loom and, and make it all tight there. And then I won't, I'll be as weak as anybody. That, that'll totally neutralize me. So middle of the night, she, I mean, she does that. Or he's sleeping soundly. And uh, middle of the night, wake up, Samson. They're, trying, they're coming to get you. And the fact is, there really are Philistines in the other room. They're waiting for this to be true, but it hasn't been true yet. Um, and it's not true again. He just pulls his, his hair out of the loom. He's still strong. That wasn't the secret. Okay? And, and now she's saying, what am I going to do with you? You're, you're not telling me the truth. You don't trust me. And he says, well, okay, here it is. And I don't, what's going through his mind? Why is he doing, I mean, she, she has betrayed him three times already. Why does, well, maybe, maybe it's his game. He's a game player. He's a wagerer about the clothing, right? Maybe he's just playing a game and maybe he thinks he's worn her out. Maybe he thinks that, that wouldn't it be a great joke if he told her the truth? And then, but she was tired of trying. And so she never tried it. Wouldn't that be a great joke? Well, the joke was on him. He says, cut my hair and I'll be weak. And, she, and that night, she, gets, she brings someone in to cut his hair, and, um, and then wakes him up. He's weak. He doesn't have his strength. And the Philistines come in from the other room, and they arrest him, and they take him away, and they torture him. They gouge out his eyes, uh, 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 something that is extremely humili- uh, humiliating, but also very practical if he ever were to escape. And this makes it hard to escape, but he'd never be able to do battle against them again without his eyes. They throw him into a mill where he is grinding like an animal, like an ox, like a donkey. He is turning around the mill, grinding the grain, just pushing, blind, unable to fend for himself, just like an animal. And how long was he doing that? A year, maybe? Two years, maybe? We don't know. We don't know the time there, but the story gives us a little, a little sentence. I want to get this exactly right for you. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You know, in those movies, at the end, you know, there's this little teaser. You see something beginning to sprout. You see a hand beginning to move you. It's not over. It's not quite over. There's still, there's still some breath. There's still some life. And this is that moment for this writer. He's there in prison. It's over. But it's not. His hair begins to grow again. But then we pause, and we, and we have to look at this, and we say, really? Did hair give Samson that strength? No. God gave him that strength. The hair was a symbol. The hair was a sign. The hair was, was his way as a Nazarite of saying, I'm going to look weird for you, God. 
I'm going to commit to you and not cut my hair. It was a sign of personal devotion. Somehow, Samson lost his way, but God did not. And so at this point, it's God's way of telling Samson, I have not forgotten you. You feel that hair growing down over your eyes. You, you, feel, you, you feel it at the back of your neck. I am still with you. My strength is still with you. And so it just so happens that there is a feast day that the Philistines have, and they gather in their majestic temple to their fish god, Dagon. And they want to bring Samson out and gloat. They bring him out in front of them and say, here he is, the great deliverer of Israel, their champion, the one who caused so much havoc against us. Well, we have captured him. And look at him now. Dance, Samson. Show us what you can do. It it literally says in the text, Samson performed for them. I don't know what it was. We don't know if he danced or sang or what. He performed for them. How humiliating was that? But he prayed once again. And he said, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Still not a really good prayer. Right? I mean, it's all about his revenge, his anger. Lord, so he's getting there. He's reaching out to God in this moment. He's still thinking revenge. But there he is placed against two pillars. Pushes with all his might and that old strength is back and the pillars collapse. The roof, the whole temple collapses on the Philistines. It's a disaster. Everyone dies, including Samson. And as the story winds up, the storyteller is, t- is saying, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. He killed a lot of people while he lived. We saw those stories. And there were 20 years of doing that. He, this, this was a big temple. This was a big thing. He did more damage to the enemy in his death than he did in his life. And I'm thinking, how sad is that? I don't want that to be my epitaph. He did more in his death than in his life. You know, I'm going to leave some money for hope in my will. But man, I'm hoping that that's not the best thing I do. I mean, seriously. First, I don't have a lot of money. But, but also, I, you know, I want to be working now. Helping the church now. Helping God's kingdom now. I don't want to wait till I die. I don't want anyone to say he did more good by dying than by living. You have a superpower. You are a superhero. I'm really not stretching that too much. Yeah, okay, it's the theme today and, and, and we're doing that. But I'm not joking about this. You have an ability that God has given you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
The Bible tells us that God has given you an ability. And He empowers you to use it. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen. That that He gives us these gifts to use for His glory. To use for the building up of the church. To use for the expression of God's invitation to others who need to hear that. And I see it happening. I'm looking around the room and and some of you I don't know that well. Others of you I do. And I see what God is doing in you. I, I am so thrilled to see our worship band. And to see the superpower of worship leading that is being developed in Lonnie and Chris. And, and Susie's had that for a long time. And to see her mentoring others in that process. These are superpowers that they are using for the glory of God. I, I see Vicki, I know you're going to be embarrassed by this. But you have a superpower of connecting people. And you get to know people and you, you, you hear their hearts and you know how they connect with other people to do the work of the church. And you've been doing that for years and building up the church through that way. I could go on and on and I'm not going to. We have people with the gifts of prayer and the gifts of leadership and the gifts of putting this space together and organizing the many different parts of how to do that. These are superpowers that you have that God has enabled you to do. And you are doing them. For the good of the kingdom. My challenge to you today is use that. Do that. Find that superpower that you have and use it for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, strange story of Samson. And um, we ask that you would help us to know what to take out of this how to avoid letting our passions lead us, not just relying on you to clean up after us, but to lead us. Help us use our superpowers for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everyone.